Lord, we just thank you for the truth that is in those words. Lord, I, God, I don't even know the Holy Spirit is moving right now. Lord, we thank you for being here. We thank you for coming and flooding this place and being with us. Thank you, God, for giving us life and giving us a hope beyond what we can even express. We love you. Be with us tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Awesome. So, so good to worship together. We're going to bring up some lights in here so that you can see as we get into the word together. Thank you, Amber. Thank you. Thank you, Katie. Yeah. Awesome time of worship. And I know that it's only going to get richer as we're going through the weekend together because these truths that we were just singing, ladies, are going to be coming alive more and more and more in our hearts as we dig into them in, in God's Word. Um, so we want to continue being in the Lord's presence, um, both collectively and individually, by asking you to allow your, ha- your heart and your mind to consider some things. So to lead us into that, I want to tell you a little bit about my own story. Earlier, I mentioned to you that years ago, the Lord really rescued me out of my own hopelessness and out of my own times of falling away. Some of you know my story, uh, some of you don't, but in my 20s, even though I had been saved at eight years old, I hadn't really matured much at all in, in my faith, and in many ways, I had fallen away. And this falling away was happening just like we talked about earlier, in my heart and in my mind, and also externally. And in these seasons, um, my husband and I, or in this season, my husband and I, we were dealing with a lot of multiple hard things. And we were in our early 20s. We got married really, really young. And can I just say, 20s are hard, y'all. I mean, I experienced it, but also just, you know, being in, in women's lives today and all of that, there's just a lot of hard adulting realities that hit in your 20s. And it's just hard. And so there we were. We were dealing with a lot of multiple things, but probably the one that was the hardest for me what was infertility and it caused me to question everything and it brought me to such a place of confusion before the Lord and I guess I should really say just added to my confusion about the Lord because see at this point in my life I really hadn't matured to a point where I had a mature understanding of the gospel now I'd been saved since I was eight years old and I had been taught the basic facts of the gospel and I could you know spit them out to you much like an eight-year-old could could share facts but not have any real understanding so I I knew the fact of the gospel that Jesus died for my sins and that if I believed in him my sins could be forgiven and I need to try to live for him and 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 then I can go to heaven but I hadn't grown up or matured in that much at all into a deeper understanding so I was confused anyway and like I said this started to affect me both internally and externally as I was dealing with some of these waves of life that were coming at me in a hard way so internally I found myself striving with God because there was so much junk going on in my head do any of you know what I mean by that right and in my heart See, during that season, I believed the lie that there was no way that God could really love me. That somehow I must be flawed, and that's why he would not let me be a mother. But because I desperately wanted God to love me, we all do, right? We had that yearning in our heart. We were created for a relationship with him. And I desperately wanted to be a mom. I would strive in all these different kinds of ways to measure up 
so that God would maybe bless me. But I couldn't measure up. So the more I tried, the more hopeless the situation became because I was just a mess. And that only brought about more sadness and more anger in my heart toward God. And so what about what was going on externally? Because that was going on internally. Well, I found myself falling away into one sin pattern after another. Missing those better things that God had for me over and over again because I was hurting. I was really hurting. And I needed some kind of relief from the pain. And I didn't think I could turn to God because he didn't answer my prayer about being a mom. Why is he going to answer my prayer about anything, right? So I've got to find something. And, and so I would just start reaching out to other things, falling away to things like food. Food became a really good friend to me. I went into a deep depression and I isolated myself from people. I turned to anger. I fell away toward just, you know, gathering all kinds of material things. I turned to immorality. I turned to perfection, trying to have the perfect body, trying to have the perfect house, trying to have the perfect whatever, you know. But none of these things helped. In fact, I just got more and more hopeless as the days went on. And it's important to note that while all of this was going on, I was very involved in church, leading in church. I was leading worship. Um, I was at church every time the doors were open. I was serving. I was helping with the youth group, all these kinds of things. Believers can get things really mixed up, <laughs> really mixed up sometimes. While we're going through all the motions of doing the elementary practices, the things that are going on in our everyday, moment-by-moment -moment lives can be surely in a place of falling away. And I do want you to know, though, how good God is, right? Because during this season, God was very gracious to me. What was impossible for me was not impossible for him. He did reach into that time and bless us in lots of ways. In fact, one of the ways he blessed us during that season was he gave us a baby through adoption. In fact, our baby is here with us this weekend, only she's not a baby anymore. She's all grown up. So if you haven't put this together yet, this is my baby, Mackenzie. She's my daughter, and she was a true gift from God. You're going to get to know her as an amazing young woman this weekend, but she was also an amazing baby. But you know what? As amazing as she was, as wonderful as she was, even after she had been in our lives for quite a while, I was still dealing with a lot of hopelessness. And here's the reason why. No human can fix the deep holes in our hearts, right? No baby, no child, no parent, no boyfriend, no husband, no friend, no position, none of that can fix the brokenness or call us up to better things. Only God can permit that. I'm not going to tell you all of my story because there's a lot more from there, right? But I can tell you this. When I was honest with myself and I was honest with God and I truly opened up my heart to him, he started me on a journey. And one of the very first things that he really began to teach me about and to embed in my heart is his goodness, right? To teach me about the gospel. And, and break it open to me so that I had a mature understanding and all of the deep anchoring of my soul that really comes from the gospel. 
See, I was in a season where I was just being tossed here and there. Every wave that would come at me, it would just undo me. But God came in with an anchor of hope, and he began anchoring my soul in his gospel. And we're going to talk about that uh, this weekend in all kinds of ways that will affect every one of us. But I want you to know, just like a ship, if it's being tossed to and fro, and, and a sailor goes and he puts the anchor down, that ship doesn't stop right away, right? It takes a while for that anchor to sink down and to dig into the soil and for that rocking of that ship to steady. It takes a while, and it took a while in my life too. That process, it was a process. It didn't happen over or not overnight, but it did land me later as time went on into a place of being convinced that God is good and that I would see his goodness in my life, not just for everybody else. I had been watching everybody else experienced goodness but i was waiting for my turn and psalm 27 13 and 14 became like a theme verse for me it says i would have despaired unless i had believed that i would see the goodness of the lord in the land of the living psalm 27 13 and 14. i had spent enough time in despair enough time being tossed around in hopelessness and i knew that god was calling me forward calling me to grow up in to hope. He was calling me to mature, to be a person who's diligent to believe in hope, a living hope like we just sang about, right? That would anchor my soul through the seasons of my life. And that anchor has made all the difference. Hebrews 6.19, if you read Hebrews 6 before you came, you probably read this part. It says, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul. And it has been an anchor for my soul, but I want you to know this too. It's not an anchor that all of a sudden it holds you once that first process stops and then you never feel the waves of hopelessness again because the waves are going to continue to come throughout the seasons of life, right? The waves will threaten. The waves get bigger sometimes. There are many waves of challenge and struggle. It's just that now you know your tool. You know the anchor that you have and the waves don't take you under because the, the anchor of hope can really hold you steady. It's one of the better things, ladies, just one of the better things that accompanies our salvation. For instance, earlier this year, kind of no, more toward the beginning of the year, life had just kind of gotten hard for me again. I was, I was in a really hard season in a lot of ways and I felt like I was just being tossed around in a lot of different direction and, and these waves of hopelessness were really starting to threaten me. And so I remember one morning I just sat down with the Lord as I was having time with Him and the tears just just started falling and, and I was in this place of just feeling that hopelessness and I remember saying out loud to the Lord, God, I know enough of you to know that you always have better things. But if I'm honest, and I let you see my real heart, and I open up to you today, God, I feel hopeless about so many things. And during that, that time with the Lord, I sensed the Holy Spirit just ask me. And he, he just, it was two words. He said, what things? What things? So I grabbed my pen, and I just started writing. And these were some of the things that I wrote about. I wrote about some loneliness that I was feeling. You know, as life had turned this way and that, and sometimes in my role, the way that, that my role, what it, what it demands of me is that I'm alone a lot. 
and especially if it's during a season of writing and things. And so I can go days sometimes and not see another soul other than, than my husband. And so I, I was just feeling very lonely. Or sometimes in my role, I can be around a lot of people, but feel like nobody really sees me or knows me. And so I was just in a season of just feeling very, very lonely. I wrote about the call that God has on my life. I know he's called me to teach his word, but it had seemed like in the last year that the opportunities to do that just weren't there as much anymore. And the enemy was whispering that, you know, God's finished with you. He doesn't want to use you anymore. So I wrote about that. I wrote about my weight because at that time I was at a heavier place than I had been in a very long time. And I really didn't seem to have any motivation to do anything about it. And that really bothered me. And I felt hopeless about it. I wrote about some expectations that I had been praying about for a long time. And it just seemed like nothing was ever happening with them. And I wrote about some emotional insecurities that I've dealt with, you know, over the years. And I've seen God do a lot, but I'm, I'm not to a place of full freedom yet. So I just wrote out. In fact, I brought the page. This is what I was writing on that day. And I just started and I wrote these boxes. This one says my weight. My calling, my relationship, you know, these different things that I just started writing about and I, and I wrote it all out. And when I was done, I sensed the Holy Spirit whisper this to me. Now that you told me about these things, we can deal with them. Amen. And he has, and he is, and I know that he's going to continue doing that. Where I was hopeless, once again, God put the anchor of hope in my hands and allowed me to do something with it mainly through the word of Hebrews 6 is where he brought me out of some of those places. So it's in that same spirit, and I know that I know that I know that God brought us here this weekend to talk about hope, and I believe he wants us to use Hebrews 6 because he wants to meet every one of us in the places where hopelessness just seems to whisper to us and threaten us to take us under. And he wants to talk to us about those better things, the better things that accompany every one of our salvation experiences. The storms of life hit us all and can leave us feeling like we will never have anything better. And, and I am quite certain, like we said earlier, every one of us have some places like that. But as we have already heard tonight, God has more for us than just survival, right? More for us than just making it through not going under, right? He has better things. So tonight, I think the Holy Spirit would like to whisper a question in every one of our ears. So are we listening? It would be this. What things do you feel hopeless about? Tell me about them. You know, journaling is just helpful. You identify your thoughts, your feelings. It's just good because without that, a lot of times, you just got this swirling mess going on inside, right? And you can't even get any clarity about You just know you feel awful, right? You just know you feel scared. You know you feel hopeless. But when you begin to get things out on paper to clarify things, it's just good. In your folder is a sheet that looks like this, okay? And we're going to take a moment. So Amber, if you want to come and kind of get that going. Um, we're going to take a moment and we're just going to sit quietly. In fact, if you feel a little uncomfortable with somebody being real close to you, like they might look over your shoulder and see what you wrote down, but you know, and you might not, and it's fine. I just want to give you the freedom to even spread out a little bit for this, you know, 10, 15 minutes or whatever. But what I want to encourage you to do, I mean, you can just do it on a piece of paper, but you know, we're talking about the way that the waves come. So you can see here, like where I wrote the word loneliness, right in the swirl, or I wrote expectations, or life calling, or my weight, or these things I wrote in on these weights. 
And then I didn't do it here because I had already done it here on this paper, but just to give you an idea, I just kind of did some you know, scribble lines there. Then take each one of those things and write out what is it about you know, your, your loneliness that you feel hopeless about. You know, maybe, maybe you just can't seem to find a friendship that's lasting. Or you don't feel like you can really be yourself in a friendship. Or, or maybe it's something in your marriage that's just not right and it never has been. And you've just settled into it, whatever. There's so many things. So I'm not going to try to name them all. I'm sure we can, we can identify them ourselves. But we're just going to play some worship music and just write. Just let this be a time with just you and the Holy Spirit. If you want to spread out, like I said, that's fine. And after this time, we'll kind of bring it to a close, but then we'll, we'll, we'll talk through some more of this passage because God has a good word for us tonight from it. We've told you, not that you didn't already know, but I think you wanted us to know that you know that you knew, <laughs> that you see us, God, that you care about us, that you hear us, and you also wanted us to know what it is that's causing these feelings of unrest in our hearts, because sometimes we're so busy, God, that we don't stop long enough to really just ponder in your presence and think it out and let your Holy Spirit Bring clarity to some of our thoughts, God. God, I pray that for every wave of hopelessness that has been identified on these sheets tonight, God, that this weekend you will put the anchor of hope in our hands and we'll grab hold of it and we will begin to put that anchor in place, God. We thank you, God, that you are a living hope, that you are an anchor of hope. And I thank you, God, that you're going to teach us this word so that it's not just some like truth that sounds nice floating out in the wind somewhere that we hope might be true, but we'll know that we know that we know that it's in your word and we've studied it and we know it. And so we're going to plan our lives in it and establish our daily life in it, God. Thank you for doing that. Let this be a time of delight, God, as you speak to us and bring us into places of hope where despair and disappointment and discouragement threatens God. Thank you for the better things, for the promises you give. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so our hearts are open, right? We've identified some of this stuff, and let's just let God work in our lives, those better things. So you probably already noticed that tonight, uh, 
Hebrews 6.19 is probably going to have some focus for us, right? Because you're seeing anchors around the room, on your cup, and your stuff, right? In fact, um, earlier tonight, Jamie, she said, she said, I read Hebrews 6, and I thought, I think the anchor's going to be something for it. So she said, I grabbed my blanket. She's got this navy blue blanket that's got white anchors all over. I'm like, that is perfect. And so she brought that with her. And I don't know about you, but I think it's chilly in here. And so maybe you might need that blanket. People might be wanting to get it. I don't know. I turn the fans off. If you are warm, wave your hand. I'll turn them back on and I'll just shiver as I teach. But um, it'll be all right. You know, you get a group of women and you cannot get everybody to agree on the temperature. So I'll sacrifice if you... No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We want you to be comfortable. So, um, But if you're cold natured, you might want to bring a blanket up here because it does feel a little chilly to me. But that's me. All right. But you probably already noticed that Hebrews 6.19 is going to be a focus scripture. And if you've been at Fall Bible Getaway before, you know that we highly value memorizing scripture. So you probably already figured out that Hebrews 6.19 is going to be a focus passage and a memorization passage for us. Scripture memory is so, so good. I'm not going to go into all the reasons why right now, but it is such a good discipline for us to have in our lives. And we're going to memorize... Hebrews 6, 19 and 20 this weekend together. And we're going to do it out of the New American Standard Bible version. So we made everybody a card. And I'm going to keep my card. And I'm going to just get some of these going around the room here. Take one. You'll notice that they're laminated. And we do that on purpose. Because when you memorize something, the key to memorization is repetition. So you need to have it with you at all times, okay? Because you're going to need to review this a lot of times. So because it's laminated, you can take it to the pool, you can take it to the beach, you can take it in the shower and go over your scripture memory. I do that a lot of times. So the other thing is it's awesome to be in a space where everybody's memorizing a passage together because you can reach out and challenge one another and do that together. And you will be surprised, even if you're somebody that thinks, I can't even remember my own phone number, you can memorize more than you think. You don't have to use your GPS to figure out how to get home. You know how, right? Because your memory takes you there. And your memory is something God's given you. And if you will work that memory out, it will get stronger and stronger and stronger. So you might notice on these cards that they've got colors on them. And that's intentional because it divides the verses up into three days of how we're going to memorize. So today, we really want to get, and we kind of get a little cheated because we don't get as much time, right? But we want to get the part in orange down into our hearts. Tomorrow, the next one, which is in a lighter blue, and then the, the, um, the darker blue. So by Saturday night, we want to be able to have this memorized, okay? So let's just look at this first part in orange. It says, this hope, read it with me, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast. Let's say that again. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast. That's right. Jesus, help us to know, right, about your sure and your steadfast hope. So tonight, I think the Lord's going to have us center in on verses 9 and 10 as he leads us toward being anchored in that sure and steadfast hope. So let me read those verses for you. It says, But beloved... We are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. For God is not unjust, so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. Now, we know that this is a continuation of thought, right? From the first eight verses that we looked at earlier tonight. 
But I do want to recognize with you that this is a turning point in the, in the thought process, right? Thus far, God has been speaking and, and describing believers who don't mature, believers who don't press past the elementary things of their faith, and even believers who are falling away. But then we get to verse 9, and we see the word, but. And in that but, the, the writer is saying, I want to tell you about a different way that it can be. I want to describe for you a believer who does mature, a believer who does press past the elementary things of the faith, and a believer who takes hold of the many blessings that I've set out in front of them. And did you notice that the writer says, but beloved, right? But beloved. We're going to talk about that word beloved in just a moment, but right now let me just stop for a second and say this. Maybe already in the short time that we've been here tonight, You're thinking about yourself and you're saying, you know what? I'm somebody who's been falling away. I want you to know, just like this turned the corner, this conversation turned the corner, this can be a turning of the corner for you tonight, even as we get started. A time for you to say, God, that might be who I was, but that's not who I'm going to be moving forward. I don't want to be that person anymore. So yes, the first part of this chapter, it's really heavy. It's laying things on the line. It's calling like it is. But then it turns the corner and it says, but beloved, we're convinced of better things concerning you. So if you see yourself as someone who has been falling away, don't come into shame over that. There's a lot of times that the Holy Spirit shows me this to go, you're falling away. And I have to go, you know what? I am. I need to to get back to what God has called me to. So just identify it for what it is. Cry out to God and say, God, would you permit a change in my life? And know that this has been written for that very purpose, to permit a change so that you don't continue in that place and you move into the better things that he has for you. This could be a turning point. And I want us to see, this is so good, especially if you're you're needing to sense that love of God as you make that turn. But for all of us, really, he says, but beloved. It's important to note that. He doesn't just say, but we're convinced of better things concerning you. He says, but beloved. And what that is, it's a term of endearment. It means exactly what it says. Beloved, right? In fact, if you want to draw it out some, if you were to look at the original word of that, it means beloved, it means esteemed, it means dear, it means favorite, it means loved. This is the way God feels towards his people, his children. And he wants us to know, I love you so much. And I have better things for you. And we need to remember the reason he's even communicating these things is because he does love us so much. Right? It's not, you better get into those better things, kids. Right? It's a, I love you so much. I want to get, it's not this, but, 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 you know, stop. It's, it's he loves us so much. We're, we, are the, we are the object of his affection. You know what? The Bible says that we are the apple of his eye. That basically means we're all his favorite. But I don't get how that could happen. Because if I'm his favorite, I want to be the favorite, right? But that means you're all the favorites too. But somehow in God's economy, he's able to do that. I don't really understand that, but I'll take it, right? And I hope you'll take it too. This says, beloved, we're all his favorite. We all are the object of his affection. In fact, the whole book of Hebrews is really about how much he loves us. And because he loves us, he has gone the extra length to set us free in Jesus. We hold a special place in his heart. 
And he says that. He says, Beloved, we're convinced of better things concerning you. In other words, verses 1 through 8 do not have to describe your life. There's something more. Now that makes it sound like it's a possibility, and it is. But did you notice that the writer, inspired by God, takes it way beyond possibility to a really powerful word? And it's the word convinced. He says, but beloved, we are convinced. Have you ever been convinced about something? When you're convinced, you're confident. Like you are fully persuaded. Fully persuaded. Nothing will sway you because you are absolutely certain. And usually that certainty is based upon something that you've experienced or come to know to be true in some way. For instance, you might be convinced that your friend will never be on time. Why is that? Because she never has been before, right? So you are convinced. Now, I don't know if that's true. I'm in the room, right? Okay. Or you might be convinced, like I am, that Ben and Jerry's s'mores ice cream is the best ice cream. And why is that? Because every time I eat it, I am just like, oh, it's so good, right? It's never been bad. It's always been amazing. And it always just like gives me that sugar high that I really don't even eat. But it's so yummy. My husband and I have an ice cream date every Sunday, and that's when I eat my ice cream. So it's awesome. You might be convinced that the Fall Bible Getaway is an amazing experience. Why is that? Because you've been before, and you know God did some really great things in your life, and so you're convinced about that. We become convinced about things that we have experiences with, right? Or that we've gotten a a message about or a word about that, that just resonates within us. I think the question begs to be asked, why is this writer convinced? What caused him to be convinced that God had better things? To be so sure about that. I believe the answer is right here in the text, five words that I think can really change all of us and convince all of us. They're right in verse 10. Five little words. For God is not unjust. For God is not unjust. Do you know how many times our thoughts take us in the exact opposite direction of that? Some wave of challenge comes rolling into our lives, and many times our thoughts and our hearts head into places like this. God, how could you let that happen? God, you must be just forgetting all about me down here. God, you must not love me as much as you love her because you never let that kind of stuff happen to her. It always happens to me. On and on, we just go through with these thought processes that consider putting God into a category that's not at all who he is. The writer says it this way, telling us what God is not. It says, for God is not unjust. We could say it in the opposite way that tells us who God is, right? Instead of saying what God is not, we can say what he is. We could say, for God is so good. I remember the day that I became convinced that God is so good. I had sung that song so many times, church camp. God is so good. And you'd sing it over and over and over again. But I wasn't convinced of it. But on this day, I became convinced. I also remember another day when I almost lost my certainty that God was good. And yet he was so good to anchor me in it once again. And I'm going to tell you about both of those days. So the first one happened a lot of years ago. I alluded earlier to it when I was telling you my story when I said the first thing God did was teach me about his goodness. So the day that he actually did that, I was cleaning a house. It wasn't my house. Back in those days, 
I had uh, two little children. God also gave us another baby, a little boy, four and a half years after Mackenzie was born, and he's now 22 and really tall. Um, great, great young man. He's not a kid anymore. Graduated college, but anyway, so I had two little kids. And I was a stay-at-home mom, but a way that I could make extra money was cleaning houses. Really didn't like doing it, but I did it two days a month just to make some extra money. And this was during the season when I was just newly really seeking the Lord. And so I was just soaking in whatever I could get of God and His Word. Uh, Internet wasn't really a thing back then. No YouTube, no podcasts. We didn't know what that stuff was. But you could turn on Christian radio. Or you could turn on Christian TV. So I would blast that stuff through these big houses and I'd be off here in the bathroom but the TV would be on loud because I'd be listening to teaching because I thought if i got to do this all day, I'm going to at least make something good of that. So I was seeking the Lord and at the same time, even though I was, I was still struggling through a lot of challenges because I was growing up. I was, I was maturing. And so as these challenges would come, my thoughts would often take me into places that I would wonder about God's intentions toward me. Or I would question, what are you doing, God? Or what are you not doing? Or I would question, does he love me? Does he care? And when I went there in my mind, I would often find myself falling into these pits or bouts of depression. But on this day, here I was, I'm cleaning this house. And I was standing in this bathroom. This whole, this lady's whole house was pink. And I like pink, but I mean, it was like over, overdone. But I'm scrubbing this pink bathroom sink. And I'm listening to Kay Arthur. You may have heard of her before. She's a Bible teacher, strong Bible teacher. And she was talking about the goodness of God. And she just kept reading one scripture after another about how good God is. Just speaking it over and over and over again. And she went on to say this. She said, the Bible declares God is good. And she said, despair is always the last step that you take before you fall into a pit of depression. She went on to define despair. She said, despair is when you believe that God is not good. Basically, when you don't believe what God's word says. Because she had just read, like, probably a hundred scriptures about God being good. And so she said, if you never allow your foot to land in a place of despair, of believing that God's not good, then you're never going to take the next step into the pit of depression. On that day, I decided, I believe what God's word says. I've heard enough of it to know. I've experienced it in this moment when I'm cleaning this sink and I'm saying, God, clean my mind of all these lies that ever lets me entertain that you are anything but good. And ladies, I can tell you with 100% certainty that I have never fallen into the pit of depression again since that day. And that was over 20 years ago. Up until that time, I struggled and struggled and struggled. Now, that doesn't mean that there haven't been days that I've been like... You know, and almost stepped into that place of despair. But the word of God is my anchor. And it holds me in a place of knowing that God is good. That's why Psalm 27, 13, and 14 became so precious to me. Because it says, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I had a lot of reasons to despair. And I have since that time. But I will not let my foot land in that place because I know that I know that I know that God is good. It really came down to, do I believe what the Bible says? God is good. And I chose to believe. 
And I told you there were times that my foot struggles, but God will take me back to that truth that he is not unjust, that he is good. So fast forward through that time to a few years ago, and it was New Year's Day. You'd think that would be a day that you're bright with promise, right? But on this day, I had just had one disappointment after another in the last few days just hit me. And I was really struggling. And, and as I looked out at the landscape of the new year, it just looked so bleak to me. And I had spent the morning, I just hadn't even come out of my room, and that is very not normal for me. But I was frustrated, I was hurt, I was shocked, and, and it just felt like the waves just wouldn't stop coming. And I just didn't understand. And I couldn't make sense of, of these places that, that we were in, and I felt like I was going under, and I couldn't see God's goodness anywhere. I don't know if any of you ever land in places like that, but that's just where I was. Later that afternoon, New Year's Day, I finally got enough together to come downstairs. The house was quiet because nobody else was there at the time. And I just kind of was, you know, mindlessly just kind of wandering around, just taking stock of things. And my eyes landed on the Christmas tree and I thought, I guess I could take this down, you know. And so I just started, you know, standing there just taking off the ornaments off the tree one after another. And while I was doing that, I heard a whisper in my ear. And ladies, it's the only time in my life I think I've ever heard the audible voice of God. But this is what he said to me. He said, I am holy. And that's all he said. I am holy. And in that moment, all the truth that I had grabbed hold of, that had been anchoring me for 20 years or so, all that that had been deposited in my heart about how good God was, it became something for me to hold on to. Because when he tells us he's holy, he's saying, I'm perfect. I don't do anything wrong. Nothing. Nothing. Even the things that we think look wrong. He's holy. And that became something for me to hold on to. I literally fell on my face in that moment before the Lord, declaring what I knew to be true, even in the midst of such struggle and hurt. His absolute goodness, his total perfection, his holiness anchored my soul in hope once again, convincing me, even though I looked out over the new year and saw nothing good, he had better things. I was still hurting. Nothing changed in my circumstances at all. But I came back to a place of being steadied. Steadied. Something good about being steadied, right? Steadied. That there are better things that accompany my salvation. Why? Because they are promised by a God who is perfect in all of his ways. Who loves us. Who calls us beloved. For God is not unjust. You need to burn those words on your heart. God is not unjust. The enemy and the world and the people around you and your circumstances will try to tell you that God is not unjust. But God is not unjust. He is perfect. I believe that those five words are really the basis of whether or not we're going to be convinced or not. We are convinced that God has better things for us because we are convinced that he's good. You know, in our culture... We throw the word hope around a lot, right? I hope we get this new job. I hope we have chocolate cake. I mean, you know, I hope they, you know, there's no traffic today. I mean, you know, we just throw the word hope around. That kind of hope rises and falls, right? It just rises and falls. It's based on circumstances of whether or not those things 
turn out. But this hope, and notice the words you're memorizing, the, the very first word of your memorization is this, right? This hope. It's differentiating this kind of hope from any other kind of hope. There's a passage in, uh, I believe it's Matthew, where Jesus talks to his disciples about peace. And he says, my peace is not like the peace that the world gives you. And I think he didn't say that exactly, but here he's differentiating. He said, this hope is not like the hope that you're used to talking about in your day-to-day life. This is a different kind of hope. It doesn't rise and fall based on the circumstances. It's based on the character of a holy God. That anchor will always hold you no matter what happens. For God is not unjust. So as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name. And having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. See we need to understand for these Jewish believers. They were in a harder season than probably any of us will ever experience. They were in the middle of extreme persecution. Right? And yet they were the ones who God was saying, you're pressing on to maturity. You're still serving me. You're still loving me, even though all this is going on. And God is saying, I haven't forgotten you. I see that and I want you to know, even though it feels like I'm being unjust, I'm not. I'm good. And you have reason to know and hope for the better things. God is saying, I see you. I haven't forgotten you. Just like he came up and reminded me on New Year's Day, He's reminding these believers, I'm good. Just because things look hard now, don't believe for a minute that I've forgotten you. Keep pressing forward. Keep moving. I'm not unjust. I'm holy. I'm good. You know, there's so much to talk about. And we're going to be talking about this, this chapter all weekend, this passage. It's, it's just beginning for us. It's not, certainly not over. But as we bring it to a pause for tonight... I want to come back to the phrase, uh, better things, right? Even at the top of your notes page, it, it says better things part two, I believe, right? Because that's just a conversation we could have for a, a long time. But there's one word in verse nine that I want to be the word that we ponder as we um, think about the things that we wrote down on our pages, those swirls where maybe we were writing down places where we don't feel much hope. Better things are the object of our hope, right? We might look at those waves, those things that we wrote in the waves, and maybe they seem hopeless and we long for those better things. Verse 9 tells us we're convinced of better things. But who are the better things for, right? It says we are convinced of better things concerning you. We're convinced of better things concerning you. So who is the you? Let's let the word just answer that for us. It's believers, right? Is it all believers? The answer would be no. This implies the better things are for the ones who are willing to do what? To grow up. To press forward in maturity. To have open hearts. And the text will go on, and we'll look at this tomorrow morning, to um, share about believers who are diligent to take hold of the hope. Right? See, these better things are not for everybody. They are for everybody, but not everybody will take hold of them. Right? They're available to every believer, but not every believer grows up. Not every believer opens their heart. Not every believer matures. Not every believer chooses to be diligent about hope. And we'll talk about that more tomorrow. But for tonight, that word you. Here's what I think the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us. 
Make sure that that describes you, right? Make sure you are that you. You got to be that you. Position yourself for the better things. Not every believer will, but every believer can. It's a matter of your choice. Earlier we played that game tonight, right? And that was silly and fun and, you know, nobody threw up. So that's good, right? <laughs> if I had done it, I would have thrown up. That's why I didn't volunteer. And I whispered to a few people around me, don't volunteer. So and they were grateful, very grateful. Don't tell if I told you that. So, but you know what? That was a silly choice. Really didn't have any lifelong impact. Hopefully you're not traumatized by it if you had to chew dead fish, right? Um, and for the record on the... The audio, we really didn't chew dead fish. It was, oh. it was a jelly bean, right? They weren't here. They were, people who listen later. Because we are recording these things. But anyway, I'm veering. Sorry. It's all about choice, ladies, right? It's about choice. God offers these things. But we have to be responsible as mature believers to take hold of these things. The responsibility of them. So make sure, get it settled tonight. Make sure you're a believer who's growing. Maybe you haven't been before now. Maybe you've been sitting in your playpen whining like a baby for years. But that can change tonight. Say, God, I'm growing up. Get me out of this playpen, right? Maybe you're stuck in religion, just going through the motions of Christianity, the basics. Make sure you haven't fallen away with a hard heart. Get these things settled. And the beautiful thing about God is this. He is always ready for us to just make a turn and his arms are always open, right? You know, I heard somebody say one time, quick repentance. Just, just when you realize you're not right with God, just quickly repent. You don't have to draw it out. It doesn't have to be some long thing. You just say, God, you know what? I agree with what your word says. And I want to be in line with your word. And his arms are wide open and things change right then. Right then, your relationship is restored and everything's new again and you have a fresh start. And God will do that over and over again. It's part of his goodness and his holiness, right? So if any of that stuff describes you, cry out to the Lord. And just for reference, I have to do that a lot, right? And and all of us should be, right? Because we are so far off from what God has called us to. So it's a repentance, but it's never a repentance of feeling like there's shame. It's a repentance of God calling us up because he has better things. And I would say this. Surrender to the better things he has for you, right? Because we all can come up with a list of better things, right? This is what I want, God. But what is God dreaming for your life? What does he want to write in the pages of your story? The chapters of your story? You know what? Most of the things that are a part of my life story now are things that I would have never written. But God, in his creative way, knew the better things he had had in mind concerning me. So let him know. Your heart is open. You're surrendered. You're ready to lean into his goodness and be that you. Be that you. We're going to sing a song in closing. Amber's going to lead us in it. And I'm going to pass around... Another one of these scripture cards. It's based on Hebrews 6.10. And it says, God, I am so thankful that you are not unjust, but you are perfect in all your ways toward me. You know, as we look out across the landscape of our lives, as we look 
landscape of our lives, ladies. You know, things are going to not all look like we want them to, but if we can just know that you are perfect in all your ways, God. You love me. I'm your beloved child, and you have a good, good plan. You are not unjust. You are perfect in all your ways toward me. So let's just go ahead and stand up. We're going to sing this blessing to the Lord of just being such a good father to us, right? And have this prayer on your heart. This is scripture that you're speaking back to the Lord, praying in his language, right? Because his word is his language. He is not unjust. He is good, perfect, and holy. That's the basis of our hope.